Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. We've reached our very first installment of our Make Disciples podcast series, where we are covering what a disciple is, who we are in Christ, and what are the characteristics of a follower of our King? Today, we are discovering this first idea around discipleship, answering the question, what is a disciple? To cover it, we have Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And we have decided to fly in a guest all the way from Australia the one, the only, Alan Hirsch. Alan is the author of the book, The Forgotten Ways, as well as many, many others. He is the head of what has now become the Movement Leaders Collective that deals with gatherings, as well as the 100 Movements, as well as 100 Movements Publishing. Alan, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be with you, as always. Okay, oh, now friends. Alan, we Michael and I, we know you. We love you. There's a very good reason we have you on this podcast because we have been affirmed and encouraged by you. But for for those who don't yet know you, what are some important things about yourself that you would love to share with the world? Oh, interesting question. Well, um, I mean, <laughs> one of the most obvious ones, as you've already mentioned, I'm in Australia at the moment, so clearly I'm not in America. Although I did spend 14 years in America, and um, at the time of COVID, we decided to flee New York City um, in order to go back to uh, be back here in Australia. So, um, yeah, I, I was born in South Africa, so I've got a funny accent. If you know, for those who have an ear to hear, uh, will know the difference. And um, Jewish family, so. Um, I've been around, shall we say, and um, I'm the wandering Jew. <laughs> I'm still wandering <laughs> the place. Don't know where I belong, uh, but right now I'm, I'm back here in Melbourne, Australia. So that's good. Well, we're excited to have you on, Alan, to talk about what it means to be a disciple. And, you know, I think, Andrew, at some point we need to give a jacket or something to people that have been on the podcast more than three or four times. Yeah, well, like an SNL five times club. Is that so, what? Yeah, yeah five so, times. Yeah, so we'll need to give Alan. I think you're there. If right, Alan, have we had you well, on five almost, times, or this is number five? Yeah, baseball cap, maybe. Uh, uh, baseball there we cap. go. We'll uh, we'll topics. order that. We'll we'll order that, and we'll have it shipped to Australia. So, uh, Alan, because of your uh, wonderful work so much in and alongside God's church. Um, we thought it would be really good to have you join us as we are, are launching this entire series on the book, Make Disciples. Uh, it it comes as an obvious fact, I think, to me and those who are listening. If the book's title is Make Disciples, probably the first question we need to cover is, what is a disciple? Um, so for you, um, how does that question hit you? Does that seem like a softball pitch, like you should know? Or like, no, this is really important. We've got to cover it. Well, actually, um, Andrew, so <clears throat> I'm amazed that after 2,000 years of uh, 
the Bible and of church history and of church, um, that very few people have a grasp on this uh, idea. And um, that that I have often like, um, you know, if you're presenting on the topic of discipleship, often people will say, well, what is a disciple? And it's it's mind-boggling to me that we really haven't got a good grasp on this after so many years. Whereas the Great Commission, of course, is not an evangelistic commission, as we've often misinterpreted it. It's a disciple-making uh, commission. It's a so mandate. do you think we're... Sorry. Yeah. So do you think we're just confused about the term, or have we forgotten? I, you know, it's... I think it's there's probably a lot of reasons for this, but I think it's partly uh, in the Protestant world, at least, um, an over-reliance on Paul, who doesn't use the term. Mm. Um, um, of course, it's implied in every aspect of his theology, being mm -hmm. in Christ, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, union with Christ. All that stuff is deeply about discipleship of being, you know, um, living in and through Jesus. But um, he doesn't use the term. And I think, um, you know, the Protestants, uh, kind of particularly in the Reformed camp, I guess, have veered away from the Gospels um, as primary texts. So uh, we don't honestly take Jesus that seriously. I know that sounds Ooh. harsh, but I think <laughs> yeah. that in the end, I think it shows very deeply in, in, in you know, in much of Protestant thinking. It's very much built on belief in, in you know, in the Gospel uh, which is, of course, the Pauline concept. Um, but they've really kind of eradicated much mention uh, and focus on the kingdom of God uh, as it represents itself in Jesus, particularly. So the Gospels don't play big time in Protestant thinking. And I think this this is where it comes from. Uh, the very thing that Bonhoeffer, as the Lutheran he was, lamented uh, in, in, in his thing of cheap, cheap grace and... Uh, which he basically puts down to, you know, the non-discipleship of the church. You know, so I think it's deeply within our theology, and um, and uh, yeah, the, the very fact that we don't have a practical understanding of discipleship is kind of incomprehensible, given that it was so important to Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, I cut you off a moment ago when you were starting to talk about the what has become known as the Great Commission. Uh, a moniker that doesn't appear really until the 1700s, uh, if I recall. And so, but that shift, that focus, the shift of focus from uh, the making disciples to going, it plays a part of this, doesn't it? Oh, I think so. And, and again, um, I lament um, that in, in, in much of contemporary church growth particularly uh, has used that that the Great Commission text as primarily as evangelistic text. So, you know, we're a Great Commission church. I said, what do you mean by that? Oh, we, we you know, we we proclaim the gospel. Um, um, but I say, well, you know, let's read it again together and just say, well, well, where do you see the gospel kind of proclamation in there? Well, I think it is, but it's implied. Mm. And, you know, it's about disciple making, but clarity on what means to make disciples and mm. clarity on what a disciple is, um, it's just not there. Yeah. Um, you can take pictures at it. You know, there's a, people will take a, you know, punt at it, but they have no real clear clarity of what it is and how you go about doing it. What I call discipleship, 
and disciple making. Uh, we lack clarity. Okay, so so far I feel, and, and rightly so, but we're, we're doing a bit of a dance around, right? We're, we're talking about the thing at the center of the circle, and we're walking our way around the circle, talking about getting inside. But even when we say there is that discrepancy between gospel proclamation or an evangelistic, you know, take that message out, and disciple making or being a disciple. So, so what's the difference? What are we saying is lacking? when we move or rather plant our flag on that declaration proclamation and not what I'm trying to do as a lead-in question, not imitation? Well, um, uh, let's talk about that. But I think that um, this is clearly on display, I think, in our time when I think, you know, circumstances have caused us to express some of the, you know, you know, some of the faulty thinking, and I think it's on display. For one, um, I think, um, you know, evangelicalism being um, based on the evangel, which, of course, is the good news, the gospel. Um, I think the problem with that is that it's taken a true idea. So the evangel is critically. Yeah, you know, it's a good thing. But, but it's a secondary truth that is pipped out the primary truth, which is the centrality of Jesus Christ. And, you know, so it, it, it's a very subtle deception where we've taken something secondary, very important, but the primary truth is that Jesus is the center of the church, not the gospel. And I think when you become gospel-centered, um, then, then, of course, what all the gospel requires is that you believe it. So there's a certain set of belief systems so that appeals much more to a creedal understanding of belief uh, but you don't have to behave differently you can put up your hand in a in a in a service an evangelistic service and be saved but there's no implication of discipleship for your life um, and this i think would you know much of our churches are predicated on non-discipleship that's clearly on display that we don't look and act and sound and think like jesus because that goes to the question of what is a disciple is essentially the task of becoming more and 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 more like Jesus every year, more this year than I did last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be only just a couple of inches, but it is right. We've got to go on that journey of becoming more Christ-like. I just don't see that in our language, broadly speaking. Uh, the idea of Christ-likeness and the kind of the the um the system that actually helps us along the way to becoming that. We levy much more on attendance to church services or, you know, other kinds of things like Bible knowledge or Bible study. And these are important, but again, they're secondary truths. They're not the primary truth. And that, you know, that we're to become like Christ. That our eternal destiny, says Paul. Paul, our eternal destiny is to be conformed, indexed to Jesus. Um, that's you know, that's what we, that is our eternal destiny to be like Jesus Christ. If you don't like hanging out with Jesus now, you're going to hate heaven because it's a lot to do with Jesus, you know. So um, I think this is, this, this lies at the heart of the problem. Mike, what do you think about that, bro? Yeah, yeah no, I, I would agree. I think um, you're highlighting the complexity of this uh, because it's not only that we're not understanding what it means to be a disciple. Uh, but we're not understanding who Jesus is either. 
I mean, that seems to me to be really at the root of the issue here. Can you elaborate on that? Can you elaborate just that we're not understanding who Jesus is? I think that's pretty critical. Yeah, well, you know, I think in some ways we've become, I mean, we do this with the gospel, we do the, and it's human tendency, I think, to just become reductionistic. Uh, that we try to re- reduce things to simple truths in some ways, but when we do that, I, we take away some of the richness to, mm-hmm. uh, of who Jesus is. So, I mean, we see this in our gospel presentations that, you know, we just need to believe, like Alan was saying, we just need to believe in Jesus uh, who came to to uh, bear our sins on the cross. Um, and then we leave it there without really thinking about who he was in his incarnation, what that means for us as as a church to also uh, imitate him in that incarnation and culture. Uh, But we certainly very rarely ever talk about who he is today in his session, seated at the the right hand of the Father in all of his glory. Um, We rarely focus on him in that way. And I think that's a tragedy because it's that kind of comprehensive understanding of uh, Jesus from below uh, and Jesus from above that really gives us a better understanding, a better picture of his uh, his glory, but also his expectations for us as we live out the, our lives here in in trying to imitate the things that he did. Michael, I wonder whether it's like, um, the way I like to think of it is that it's kind of the incarnation, right? It's like the whole purpose is, you know, that, you know, the, the idea of the two natures of Christ. We've tended, I think, to kind of highlight that he's God and he's, Actions are highly significant because he is God. But the idea of him being human uh, and giving us the human image of God, the perfect model of human holiness according to God, um, God's way of being human is imaged in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it seems to me that we don't take that that humanity seriously as a kind of a, um, a standard or a canon of, of of what humanity should look like according to God. So that again, this idea of discipleship is the human way of like, I must become more like the humanity I see in Jesus Christ, uh, mm-hmm. who's the archetypal human being, the right. second Adam. And um, I, I, I think that we've diminished that. And then the other side, and reflecting what you were saying is, I think we've, we believe in Jesus as Savior. So much of evangelical theology is predicated on soteriology but we've lost our the concept of you know the, the fullness of christology that mm-hmm. that our, our, that that jesus is lord as well as savior and we, we can we sing that in our songs but we don't have any practical means by which we take the lordship of jesus in daily life that seriously which is really mm-hmm. discipleship discipleship is the way we interpret jesus into our lives the fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's exactly the response yeah. we make. We become disciples. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that you highlight there in what you were saying is that we don't look at Jesus according to God and what God's intention, that Jesus is God incarnate, uh, giving us. 
Yeah. Yeah. G giving us the example of what it would be to, to be human. Um, but at the same time, there's the, the other side that when we take God out of it and we make Jesus completely human, then we lose yeah, just absolutely. something special, unique yeah. about him. And I yeah. think in many ways, we've culture in general has reduced Jesus to that. Um, I don't know what it's like in Australia. I have a suspicion. But in the U.S., we've been seeing... Uh, the data showing us that the majority of Christians and even uh, a significant uh, minority, and in some cases, uh, a majority of evangelicals, don't hold an orthodox view of who Jesus is. That They view him as being a great person, a great teacher, a prophet perhaps, but uh, at the same time, they'll view him as being created. And and so there's something something that has happened in our lack of discipleship um, that is uh, impacting all of this. And uh, and you know, as you're fond of saying, we're perfectly designed to achieve uh, what we're seeing. I think that it's a it's an awful it's an awful creation that we have made of Jesus, and what the Jesus that we serve, he is not replete with the grandeur and, and might and majesty that he deserves as being fully God. And on the flip side, like you were saying, Alan, he also isn't fully human. Uh, we, we dismiss all of the human things that he does, and we say, well, that's just because he's God. And so we make Jesus less than human but less than divine. And then the Jesus that we talk about or serve or act like we're following is something that is neither A nor B and is a monstrous C. And it's leading us nowhere. It's leading us um, to a place where we get to, again, we get to make those soteriological claims that have nothing hitting our daily life, that Jesus is Lord is a wonderful statement to make without action to be seen day to day, step by step. Uh, so my question for both of you, what would it look like then? What is a disciple that falls under the Lordship of Jesus that sees him as fully God and fully man? What is a disciple then? Well, I love how Alan describes this um, in uh, The Forgotten Ways, and he alludes to this frequently, that uh, the, the disciple is going to be somebody who is imitating Christ in his apest archetype, that uh, as we are following him, there's going to be something in us that's apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, uh, pastoral, and, and teaching. Um, as we're imitating who he is. Yeah, so I think that's a, I mean, the whole apist typology is being <clears throat> perfectly demonstrated uh, in Jesus, recapitulated, you know, the, the, the fallen aspects of these are recapitulated in the second Adam, uh, that he, it's his identities and purposes that, that, you know, apist fully contains that. It's pretty profound kind of Christology. And that really our job as the church is to receive, um, we have in the ascension, we receive these fivefold gifts and that our job is to embody them, you know, 
both individually but also corporately as a you know it's a very good model of it but i think it still begs the question of like you know that jesus you know again has become under in those conditions the very basis of our understanding of who we should be um and it's not the gospel a disputed doctrine uh you know problematic i mean who's got that worked out i mean there's all kinds of theories of it no i'm saying i think all of them are true personally i would not you know reduce it to one i think all of them are contained in the magnificent work of jesus but but it's jesus the gospel with a face that we need to focus on and uh um i like i said i've referred to bonifer <clears throat> i was actually just reading something this morning where one of my favorite <clears throat> quotes from bonifer from his book and discipleship is that he said that christianity without christ is a christianity without discipleship and a christianity without discipleship is inevitably a christianity without christ in other words, there's a, there's a strong correlation between discipleship and the authentic expression of Christianity. You can't, that, that Jesus is made manifest in the world through our attempts to translate him in our lives and in our corporate expression into the world. We are to be little Jesuses in the world. If Jesus interprets God to us, you know, so that he, you know, in him we understand who God is. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. We in turn have got to interpret Jesus into the world. That is our job as the body of Christ and as individual believers to embody Jesus and to be little Christs. Uh, so that's, by the way, C.S. Lewis's little phrase, little Christs in the world. That we to be little images of Jesus in the world. I think that's really the core of what discipleship's about. And that, I think it's a shame that... Uh... There already exists such a really lovely word um, that we're to be Christ-like, and yet we've we've heard that phrase. Those of us in the church, oh, you're supposed to be Christ-like. You're supposed to be Christ-like. That it 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 lost its substance, it lost its meaning, and uh, and so when you tell somebody, or rather when we read, we are to be Christ-like, we don't actually take it to be. We <laughs> are to be like Christ in all things, thinking, feeling, acting like Jesus. Uh, and sadly, it goes in one ear and out the other. But it's right there. That is our call. That is our call for imitation in all things. Yeah. And I think that's a part of what we've lost is the idea of imitation. You know, I'm, I'm always challenged by thinking of Paul uh, telling the church in Corinth, imitate me as I'm in, imitating Christ. And, and there's something that seems to be missing in our discipleship, in uh, our context, particularly in the Western context, where we don't, we can't, we, we can't visualize what that means. What does it mean to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ? Because we, there are not very many people that we really want to imitate and, or that we would point to and say, you know what, look, that person right there, that's, that's a person doing Jesus-y things. I want to be like that. I want to do those kinds of things. Um, but I think that's in some ways the system that we have uh, today that we've inherited over the centuries where um you know we we tend to sit and listen to the teaching of the, the word and that's a good thing it, we need to have the teaching of the word 
But when it comes to the application of it, there's nobody that we look to that's saying, oh, wow, look, that person is doing that. I, I'm with that person in that person's life, actually seeing that person do the things he or she is talking about. Um, and so that that kind of imitation, I think, is something that uh, we need to recover in our discipleship. Yeah. If it might help at this point, I think let's let's kind of build that out a little bit. So, <clears throat> um, so for me at least, again, I just propose this, and I say like discipleship includes imitation. Clearly, it's there, um, and that's the whole purpose of the humanity of Jesus. Why God, uh, it, you know, the Old Testament wasn't enough in terms of the revelation given. We needed a human demonstration of what, what it meant to be human uh, in, in, that we get in Jesus. So imitation of Christ, um, critically important. Um, but there are other metaphors um, as well. Um, so like in Paul, for instance, transformation into, so it says in Second Corinthians 3, we're beholding him on being transformed into his likeness mm -hmm. from one degree of glory to another. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, as we behold him, as we focus our lives upon Jesus, we are transformed into his likeness. Wow. Wow. So this is the contemplation of Christ leads to transformation in Christ. Uh, so that this task of focusing our lives on Jesus transforms us into his likeness. This is the work of the Spirit. So that's another one. Um, then I've already mentioned the conformation. I love that phrase. Conforming is where our lives are indexed in a way, um, measured by or corresponds to. Um, so this mm -hmm. idea of this, that our, our lives are to be conformed to Jesus Christ, I think our eternal destiny, like I've already mentioned, um, I think is very profound. Um, and this is what the whole purpose is on about. This is that we will be eventually, we'll be like Jesus. God will have us, this I'd say this clearly, God will have us Christ-like or he will not have us at all. Mm. That is the purpose of it. And the purpose of discipleship is for us to become Christ-like. Mm. The other things are union with Christ, if you use Paul's idea of in Christ, which comes up, I think, over 130 times in Scripture in, in Paul. This idea of this abiding, that's John's kind of version of that, is the abiding in Christ. These are very Jesus-soaked, very Jesus-oriented um, dimensions of scripture which again like we've managed to somehow bypass um and I, I i can't see how we've managed to be biblical just another comment and this is slightly on the side michael this comment that you made about you know and I'm, I'm convinced this is also a secondary truth that's popped out you know pipped out the kind of the primary truth we're not meant to be bible centered either mm -hmm. um the bible is the word of god you know in a sense it is you know scripture you know, authoritative in all matters of life and faith, but it is not our center. Jesus is the word, the logos, that is our center. The, the, the scriptures speak of him and kind of witness to him, but it's Jesus who is the center, the word. You know, that changes everything. If you put the Bible in the center, you've got a lot of people who quote the Bible all the time, but it don't look like Jesus. Whereas if you have Jesus, the word at the center, and the you've got the Bible serving its correct purpose, which is to witness to Christ and to point us in the right mm. direction. So I think these are 
these are things that need to be corrected if we're ever going to get discipleship right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, you highlight two things, two tendencies that we've had in um, Christianity today. That is that we can become gospel-centered or Bible-centered, and we lose the Christo-centrality of what really we're called to be. Absolutely. And it's not, and you're not saying, and you've said this, you're not saying no to the gospel, no to the word, no, no to the Bible. Truth Those are important. Yeah. And because if we are truly Christ-centered, then we're going to be in yes. his word, reading his word. We're going to be out in our communities talking with people about him. But it's, it's that focus on him uh, being primary. Mm -hmm. Uh, that conforms us then uh, and transforms us. I think it's uh, at no point you're going to look at somebody who is so laser focused on being centered in Christ and say, ah, you were just too Christ centered and not gospel centered enough. You were, you were too focused on Jesus and not yet or not focused enough on the Bible. The, the one who, uh, yet, what is that idea? Um, if you try to seek the fruit of the spirit without the spirit, you'll get neither the spirit nor the fruit. So if, if we're, ch if we're chasing after something that is about Jesus, but we're going to leave Jesus behind, we're going to not get Jesus, nor are we going to get the thing that we think we're chasing after. Mm. So the strange thing, Andrew, on that, the strange thing is that, uh, you know, I, I, I think that that if we, there are people who might say that we do Christ-like. I mean, Michael might say something about that, about being Pelagius and uh, comparing to Augustine. Uh, you know, Pelagius was meant to be a very godly man, and very, you know, very, very godly dude, very Christ-like guy. But he, you know, he, you know, he was considered wrong. Um, but I would uh, argue that if um, to be Christ-like going to get you in a lot of trouble because Jesus... Um, when you look at Jesus, like he hangs up with prostitutes, it's kind of all you know, and the, the religious people hate his guts. So, thinking like being Christ like means you're going to kind of have to hang out with the odd kind of people in the world, and religious people are going to take you down. I mean, that's that's probably part of the, the problem. I'll tell you a story, it's rather funny, but it's a true story. At least it was told to me as true. Uh, it sounds like it's a joke, but it's, it's meant to be true. Um, it's, um person in in a, a church in a denomination I won't mention um, um they decided that the pastor told me the story that they wanted to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount and um so they thought well okay it's good to read the whole you know Sermon on the Mount which is a good three three and a half chapters which kind of takes a, a good reading will take about 15 to 20 minutes you know they decided, like, if you're going to do that, you, you can't do the King James. You're just going to you're going to lose people after you know, <laughs> like three minutes. Uh, so they'll just do a contemporary version, like the Message, or I don't know which one, Living Bible, whatever it is, the contemporary version. So they're about 15 minutes into the process, and this dude at the back of the church says, "I've had enough of this liberal bullshit." And he's like, you know, and apparently this is a guy who'd been around for a while, and he like grabbed his children and his family and walked out of the church he, and for me it kind of just shows the fact that most people wouldn't this guy even though it was a different version couldn't recognize the voice of the shepherd mm. in 
the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm thinking that's exactly the problem, is that we wouldn't recognize Jesus because we haven't focused on him. We haven't got a notion of who mm. he is. Mm. So we consider him this, this liberal, you know, dangerous kind of person. So that's why we kind of prefer belief systems to Jesus, because he, Jesus is going to call into question a lot of the things that we do. You, well, whereas if you have a belief system, you can still get away with all kinds of nonsense, as the history has shown us. Uh, if you only have to believe in certain ideas about God and, and gospel, and you can get away with your lifestyle of having no challenge, it's because you're non-disciples. That's why. And this is why discipleship is so important. Because if right. we actually chase after Jesus, uh, you know, if it's good enough to quote C.S. Lewis once, it's good enough to quote him twice. Um, we, we lean on that analogy from Narnia. You know, he he isn't safe, but he is good. No. And uh, there is the reality that following Jesus, declaring Jesus as Lord, and then imitating, being transformed by conforming to in union with all of the things that we have listed so far, there are consequences. <laughs> there are consequences. When we declare Jesus as Lord, our life should show that we that, that is true. Because by declaring that he is Lord, we are declaring that we are not. By declaring that his way is the way, we have to put our way in the backseat. We need to look, feel, and act more like Jesus. Mm. Alan, what would you recommend for those who really want to follow follow Jesus in a in a serious way? Where, where would you point them? You mean in terms of materials? Yeah, well, in terms of materials, in terms of uh, others who are following Christ as as models. Yeah. Well. You know, this has been um, actually say one of the MDNA, which is discipleship and disciple making, that has got some attention in the last ten or fifteen years, and so we might we might be getting better at it. I I think you know you see some hopeful signs that people are taking more seriously. I I do love um, some of the material that came out of what uh, is known as three DM. Uh, which really is, <laughs> uh, I think 3DM is in itself an inter reinterpretation of the early Methodist kind of methodology, which is built squarely on discipleship. Um, I mean, me early Methodism was remarkable for this, you know, everyone was in classes and bands and societies, and there was a, there's a strong kind of, you know, sense of um, responsibility to the group. But I think what um, what we've experienced more recently is that, that you know that, that idea of like group work, group discipleship, but built on practices, common practices together, and so you know that that the group agrees to do regular, like a rule of life, kind of thing across the church. So my mate um, Michael Frost's book "Surprise the World" is excellent on this. And he suggests a certain set called Bless. Uh, sorry, bells, bells, um, uh, three acts of blessing, three times of eating, or eating regularly with people outside the faith, inside the faith, listening to God for an hour per week, everyone learning together. So everyone reads and learns and shares their insights and then experience their lives as sent. It's a sent is a missional one. 
Um, and I won't explain them all now, but this is the, the, the communities agree to kind of set these at the core and then they begin to be formed by these, you know, not just so much believing them, but actually doing them. So if you eat like this missionally for a year, I suggest you'll eat your way into the kingdom of God. So practices, learning how um, to act our ways into new ways of thinking rather than just think our ways into new ways of acting, I think is really important. So, And it sounds like it's important to do that in community as well. In community, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think communities will hold us accountable. It's funny, you know, like um, we often know, like for those who actually do have a notion of discipleship in the in the West, at least it tends to go down on one on one. And actually, I mean, that goes to more coaching, and I think it's kind of important, and you should do it. But it's funny that you never really get uh, any any perspective of Jesus doing one on ones, maybe with the Samaritan woman more a kind of evangelistic kind of opening up of her heart to, to the Lord. But yeah, but that's a conversation that isn't a regular meeting. It's a conversation, yeah. Um, but but when you see, you know, in the Bible, it's always in groups. So Jesus is always in groups. And like I always love this image of, you know, um, why in groups is because, you know, when when um, when Peter, uh, you know, Jesus asks, who do you think I am? G Peter says, you're the son of God, you know. Um, Messiah and all that stuff. He says, you've got it right. And he says, well, then now I'm going to go to Jerusalem um, and um, and I can, you know, I can do my work on the cross, you know. And, and Peter says, no, you can't. You shouldn't do that, you know. It says, get behind me, Satan. But it's like, um, it's like <laughs> this is a public event. So, like, there's a group of people around. So it's like, gather everyone around. Get behind me, Satan, you know. Well, of course, well, what happens when he's rebuking Peter in the group? Is everyone gets to say, "Oh, I I shouldn't be, you know, I shouldn't do that." <laughs> so so the, the group learns as much as Peter does, is that this is, uh, you know, that there's something going on here that he, they need to pay attention to. So I think group is very important, and uh, and and the rule of life together, I think, is the way forward. Mm -hmm. I think common it's also, yeah, absolutely, the common disciplines and. Let us not be fooled when we are reading scripture and it refers to the church or we we always run across that word you. Oftentimes in the New Testament, the you is y'all. Right? There, there, yeah. there are community calls. Um, it is or for the many. Um, and that is what Christ's encouragement is for us. Um, and lastly, I will uh, I really appreciated your your clear question, Michael and your succinct answer, Alan, I will throw in, big surprise, uh, please read the Gospels. I, we already talked about it, but if you're going to want to know where to go, uh, how to do discipleship, I, let's let's read Jesus. Uh, let, let's go to the Gospels. Please um, read them, see what he is doing, and then see what his actions look like and where your actions can uh, be conformed to his um, I think it's a. I think it's important, and uh, shouldn't be assumed um, that reading other books will get you there. Um, follow Jesus, um, Alan. For those who have been excited by what you have brought today, um, where can they follow up with you? Where they where can they see more of what you are doing and thinking and writing? Um, well, I have an AlanHirsch.org website which kind of lists a few things i do i just don't keep i don't keep it up very much i should, I should do something with that 
My work is primarily with the thing called Movement Leaders Collective, which is really a, um, a group of people who are trying to work movement out together. What does it mean to be a movement of the people of God, which I think is the best expression of missional church. So that's what I do. Um, in terms of my writings, it's probably the best way to track on these issues. I think the discipleship thing, I wrote a book with my wife called Untamed on discipleship. Um, uh, got a number of years ago. It's still a very, very current book. Um, it's still, you know, I think it still works. We just about to republish it and we do a new edition. But if you can get yourself a copy of that, that's a good place to to explore this idea. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, you can find me. I'll find you. That's uh, both encouraging and scary. Uh, so <laughs> check over your shoulder. Alan might be there. Uh, <laughs> Alan. It has absolutely been an honor to have you on our podcast today. Uh, thank you for being with us and sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and your heart. Um, and we also want to thank you, the listener, who have joined us as we are launching into this new series uh, called Make Disciples. Um, I think it does go without saying that if you also want to know how do I go about making disciples, I want to encourage you to stick around. Um, listen or watch the rest of this series in Make Disciples because we are going to have guests week after week who are going to help us understand what are the characteristics of being a part of Christ's kingdom and what does it look like more to follow our king. Um, please, we invite you to check out the rest of our episodes on Ephesiology. If you just pull it up on your podcast app and scroll back, find a topic that's interesting certainly invite you to check out that back catalog or just go online at masterclasses.ephesiology.com and see what more resources we have for you. So for Alan, for Michael and myself, thank you for doing theology and community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast.